Well, we are in our third and final week of our end time series. And together we've looked at two of Jesus' teachings from Matthew 25 the past two weeks. The parable of the ten bridesmaids and the parable of the talents. And both of these parables deal with being prepared, being ready, and using your resources wisely. The bridesmaids didn't know what time the groom was going to come and the wedding would start, and the servants didn't know when their master was going to return after being away for a long time, and they would have to give an account for what they had been up to while he had been away. And we've discovered that Jesus did not teach these lessons so that we could know the exact date and time of his return. In fact, Jesus himself says that nobody knows the date and time of his return except the Father and the Father alone. And so rather than trying to figure out when he is returning, what we are to do is to learn how we are to wait for him expectantly and with watchful eyes and to be ready at any time. Time. Today's lesson is about final judgment. And Jesus peels back a layer and gives us a sneak peek at what that day is going to look like. He tells us why we need to be ready and how we can know that we are ready. We begin in Matthew 25 with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And so we see right from the start, right from the outset, that Christ is coming again, and Christ is coming to judge. Now, throughout Matthew's gospel... Jesus is most often referred to as the Son of Man, as he is in this passage. The Son of Man whose Father is God. And when he returns at the end of time, he won't come in that lowly way that he did the first time. You remember born in a major, in low estate? No way. In the end times, he's coming in glory. Jesus comes and it's glorious. He's accompanied by a band of angels and he's going to sit on a glorious throne. And when the Son of Man appears, everyone in the world, all people, all nations are going to be gathered in front of him. And all of humanity will be divided into two groups, and every individual will be in one of those two groups. There aren't any other options. It's one or the other. Jesus likens the separation of people into two groups to the same way that a shepherd might separate sheep from goats from each other. You know, sometimes sheep and goats graze together in the same field. But when it's time to do something like to shear the sheep, you don't need the goats. You have to separate the sheep and the goats. That's what Jesus said this is going to be like. Now, in the Old Testament, you might remember the prophet Ezekiel spoke about God one day sending a perfect shepherd, the Messiah, from the line of King David. That's Jesus, who would be the good shepherd of the sheep. Let's hear how the Son of Man judges each person as we pick back up in Matthew 25, this time beginning in verse 34. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So we've already seen from the very opening verses that Christ will definitely come again as judge. It's not a question of if, but then, uh, but when. Although Jesus himself cautions us not to be concerned with when, but rather with what we are to do in this in-between time. It's clear from the whole story that separation is going to happen the coming judgment is going to result in separation. The sheep will be separated from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. One will go to eternal punishment and the other to eternal life. Now this might sound pretty harsh to us, but it is a striking part of the biblical vision and the biblical message. God is not an anything goes kind of God. There are certain actions and attitudes that have a place in God's kingdom, and there are other actions and attitudes that have no place in God's kingdom. And through separation by judgment, God purifies. He winnows. He establishes and reinforces those things that are right while eliminating those things that are wrong. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells us that in this present age, the good and the bad are just kind of all mixed up together. Think about the parable of the wheat and the weeds all growing together in one field. Or that fisherman who pulled up his net, and in that net were some good fish and some bad fish all mixed together. In Matthew 13, where the, Jesus tells those parables, he says that at the end of the age, there's going to be a harvest. And then the good wheat is going to be separated from the weeds. There'll be the good wheat, wheat will be gathered up into a barn, and the weeds are going to be thrown into fire and just burned up. And in that day, the, the net is going to be pulled up, and the good fish are going to be kept 
and the bad fish, they're just going to be thrown away. And in both of those parables, the righteous will be separated from the wicked who will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Jesus says. This promise of separation, I think, should startle us. It should startle us into sitting up and taking notice. It should cause us to examine our ways before Jesus does. Because by the time Christ comes to judge, it's too late. This isn't a story where we see a trial taking place, is it? The evidence has already been gathered up by Jesus. He has all the evidence he needs he actually has already decided the case, your case in this story, and it's just the sentence that he's handing down. And so it becomes really important for us to understand the basis of Christ's judgment. Jesus shows us that it's not an arbitrary decision, right? There is really a very clear rationale behind it. And much to our relief, our judge is both true and our judge is fair. He tells us the criteria that he uses for judgment. And it's clear from this judgment scene in Matthew 25 that the exact same standard is used for everyone. Christ judges all the people on earth based on whether they did or did not give food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, hospitality to the stranger, clothing to the naked, care to the sick, and comfort to people in prison. Personal piety is not all there is according to the standards of Jesus' judgment. Rather, one's personal piety, when we name Jesus as Lord of our lives and King of, of our life, that's going to manifest itself in living our life, doing the same kinds of things that Jesus showed us and did himself while he walked this earth, namely loving and caring for people and seeing the face of Jesus Christ in the face of all the neighbors that we encounter. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And as Jesus taught us so well in the parable of the Good Samaritan, our neighbor is found in the one who needs help and in the one who reaches out a hand to extend help. We are called to recognize Jesus most easily in the face of our neighbor. When we are loving our neighbor, we are loving God. When we are not loving our neighbor, we are not loving God. For the person who follows Jesus Christ as Lord, there's no room for discrimination, no room for hatred, no room for holding grudges. Remember, love of God goes hand in hand with love of neighbor. Neither one is mutually exclusive from the other. And for the Christian, the sheep and the goats is not a morality story that's just about doing good. It's not just about being a generally good humanitarian. We've got to understand and we've got to come to terms with the truth that every single thing in this story hinges on Jesus Christ being the righteous judge, Jesus Christ being the king who will reign, Jesus Christ who is the Lord and ruler over everything. That state sets the stage for this whole scene 
Jesus' followers are called to love others because he first loved us, even when we were pretty unlovable. And then Jesus showed us how to love others, even when others may seem pretty unlovable to us too. I think one of the curious things about this story is that both the sheep and the goats seem genuinely surprised by the verdict that the Son of Man passes on them. I mean, the sheep seem to have served Christ without ever having known Christ. And the goats seem to have known Christ without ever having served Christ. This judgment scene shows us that when people respond to the needs of the people around us or when they fail to respond, that they are really responding to or failing to respond to Christ. Both the sheep and the goats seem surprised by this. There's a legend that's told about St. Martin of Tours. He was both a Roman soldier and a Christian that lived way back in about the 4th century. And one cold winter day when he was entering the city of Amiens in Gaul, he encountered a poor, shabbily dressed beggar man who stopped him and asked him for help. Martin looked at him shivering there and he took off his soldier's cloak and he used his military sword to cut it in two and he gave half of his cloak to the beggar to help keep him warm. And that night, Martin had a dream and in it he saw a vision of heaven and all the angels were gathered around Jesus and one of the angels asked Jesus why he was wearing half of a Roman soldier's coat. And Jesus said it was because his servant Martin had given it to him. You this, see, this scene of the final judgment doesn't really address the fate of active Christians, both those who know Christ and who serve Christ. And so this, this parable, this passage, affirms for us that Christ is the judge of all people on earth, even people who have never even known him. And it also serves to show us that lip service is not enough to show our love for Jesus. So it should serve to, to startle complacent Christians into an active life of faith, demonstrated by both a profound love for God and a profound love for our neighbor. In the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, it's put this way. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. That passage is really about the complementary nature of faith and good works going hand in hand. It is our love for God that compels us to love and serve others. It is faith in God that produces works. It is faith being put 
into action. Jesus says that there is one characteristic that distinguishes a sheep from a goat, and it is having a profound love of God and the disposition of a loving and merciful heart toward others. It is helping others in need because God loves them. It's caring for people's material and physical needs, and it's not an option for Jesus. You know, it can be easy to insulate ourselves from people around us who are in need. But when we do that, all it does is serve to make us become a little more callous to their needs. But what if we could see Jesus in everyone we met? How would that begin to change us? How would that begin to change the world? What if we woke up and prayed each and every morning, Lord, help me see the face of Jesus in everyone I meet today. One day, a little boy decided that he wanted to meet God, and he knew that it was a long way to the place where God lived. And so he packed some cupcakes and a few root beers, and he set off on his journey to meet God. And when he'd gone about three blocks, he saw an old woman sitting on a park bench, and he decided to go up and take a seat next to her. And so he sat down, and he looked at the old woman, and he thought that she looked a little bit hungry, and so he offered her one of his cupcakes. She took it from him, and she gave him a smile. And he thought her smile was so beautiful that he wanted to see it again, and so he offered her one of his root beers also. Once again, she took it from him. She took a little sip from it, and she gave him the biggest, kindest smile. And it made the little boy so happy. And so they sat together there all afternoon, eating and smiling without ever saying a word. And soon it began to grow dark, and the little boy realized he was pretty tired and that he better be getting home. And so he got up to leave, but before he had gone more than a few steps, he turned around and he ran back and he gave that old woman the biggest hug that he could. And she gave him her biggest smile yet. And when the little boy got home, his mother was surprised by the look of joy on his face. And she asked, what made you so happy today? And she, he said, I had lunch with God. And you know what? She's got the most beautiful smile in the whole world. Meanwhile, the old woman, also radiant with joy, returned to her home. And her son was stunned by the look of peace on her face. And he asked, Mother, what has made you so happy today? And she said, I ate a cupcake in the park with God. Have you seen Jesus lately in the face of a child, in the face of an old woman? in the clerk at the store, in a beggar on the corner, in a prisoner, in the face of the person that gets on your last nerve. You see, when you look into the face of another person and you see there the face of Christ, you're transformed. Enemies become people that we love and pray for. Selfishness turns into selflessness. Helping other people become second nature to us. And if that's not where you find yourself right now, this morning, then ask yourself, 
What needs to change in your life so that the love of God and the love for others becomes your driving force in life? You see, when we lose sight of our purpose for being here, we can become self-indulgent, self-focused, self-obsessed. And if we don't ever spend time serving people who are in need, we'll probably never encounter the face of the living Christ in human flesh. Coming back to God through repentance when we realize that that's not where we're at and asking the Holy Spirit to increase in us our desire and our capacity to love and serve others puts us on the right path. The right path to Jesus. Jesus is calling each of us to love and serve others who are in need in his name because of our love for him. And so what if every Christian reached out and showed loving action to just one person. <coughs> Isn't that really what this text about the sheep and the goats is about? I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. It doesn't say that you went out and you solved the problem of world hunger. It doesn't say that you found a way to provide clean drinking water to every single person in the world. It doesn't say that you found a way to reform the entire prison system. No, Jesus is simply expecting those of us who know him to serve him. And he expects us to do that by serving others, one person at a time. I was a stranger, and you sat next to me at lunch. I needed clothing, and you went out and bought a winter coat so I wouldn't freeze this winter. I was hungry, and you brought some food to my home so I would have something to eat. I was sick, and you called and checked up on me. I was in prison, and you didn't forget about me. You know, sometimes our action to one person might seem pretty small, but it can make all the difference in the world. The standard Jesus holds us to is either doing an act of kindness in his name or not doing it. And we don't really have any excuses, do we? I mean, think about it. Here at Anderson Hills, there are so many ways that we can serve our neighbors individually or together, collectively. You could go right out here at the close of service and take one of those Christmas tags off of the board and you can provide joy and a gift for a needy person this winter. You can donate to the WASH program, which provides clean drinking water to our neighbors half a world away in the country of Zambia. Right now, there are a lot of people that are part of our church and others who, who are living in nursing homes or assisted living centers, and they may feel like prisoners because they can't go out and no one can come in and visit them, and a note or a phone call from you could absolutely make all the difference in the world. Well, just recently... Uh, one of our members sent um, a stack of quilts that the quilting group at this church had, had sewn together and took them over to the Glen Senior Living Center over in Claremont County. And each one of those quilts had a note of love and remembrance attached to them. Can you imagine how someone felt as they wrapped that quilt around them? There are lots of life-giving ministries that you can be a part of here at the church. Inner Healing Prayer, Stephen Ministry. You could teach Sunday school. You could lead a life group. You can do outreach to the children at Mount Washington Elementary School. You can participate in pray-and-go um, times at Mount Washington after church at Salem. You can be a part of the community dinners that happen there. 
You can be a prayer partner. You can greet people with the warm expression of love as they come in the door. Project 5000, back to school outreach, Wids Kids, interfaith hospitality that reaches the homeless. Go on a mission trip like ASP or Jamaica or Mexico. The list goes on and on. You see, followers of Jesus Christ have one thing in common, and that is that they have a heart for people in need. They jump at opportunities like that to serve. And here's one thing I found. One, one additional surprise. You know, when you serve someone in the name of Jesus Christ and you go hoping to bless them, you know what really happens? You're blessed, aren't you? I see some head nodding out there. You know it, don't you? You've served before. When you go to serve and be a blessing, other people are a blessing to you. I think the people on the right, the sheep, had been blessed because they'd been having so much fun serving their master. Maybe that's one of the reasons that none of them even recognized that it was the master they were serving. In the end, in spite of the surprise and the protests of both the sheep and the goats, Christ's judgment stands. Excuses don't work when you get to that end. It is very clear that the authority for judgment rests with Christ and not with us. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It's a Sunday when we celebrate the reign of Christ over all things, that we celebrate that Christ is the righteous judge, our righteous judge. We can be thankful that Jesus helps us and prepares us to be ready. We can be thankful that the unrighteousness of those who refuse to help the least of these will one day be separated from the righteousness of those who love God and who do help the least of these. My friends, it's not complicated. God's plan for the world is loving and sharing. It's looking out for the weak and the less fortunate. So let us examine our ways, my friend. And if you find the love of God flows easily from you to others, you have nothing to be afraid of. Will you pray with me? Oh God, your love transforms us. Every time we look into the face of another, let us see you looking back at us. Every time we want to turn away from people who are in need, help us hear your voice calling for our help. Lord, we want to be your sheep and not goats. We want to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors and by extension, you as we love ourselves. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our soon and coming King. And all God's people said, amen.